Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. As you're being seated, if you got your Bibles, I, I hope that you do. Would you grab them, open them up to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hardback black Bible in front of you there under the chair. You can grab one of those, and if you're using one of those, we're going to be on page 977. If you happen to be visiting with us or or you're new here today, um, we are approaching the halfway point in our series in the book of Ephesians, which we're simply calling Ephesians, Who We Are, How We Live. This letter that we've been studying through is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Gentile Christians that made up the church in and around the city of Ephesus. And and as he's writing, he's working to help us to understand that our identity in Christ determines how we live. Who we are comes from what Christ has done in and for us, and how we live flows out of that. So Paul begins by working to help help us to understand who we are. The first half of this letter is all about our identity, and that means that for the last four weeks or so, we've been seeing and talking about who we are in Christ, as individuals and as the church. Individually, we've seen that we are recipients of grace. God has poured out his grace on us, and we've seen that we're dependent on Christ. We need God's power to live for him every day. We need his strength. He gives us that strength so that we can live for him, and we've seen that he gives it to us. We've seen that we are raised to live for him. God's saving work in our lives, he he saved us, he raised us from death to life, and all of that had a purpose. All of that was to lead us to live our lives every day on mission for him, to be his hands and feet in the world. But our identity is not just personal. We've also seen that we have a collective or a corporate identity. As the church, we have been united together in Christ. God has torn down what separates us in order to unite us together to grow in him. We have an identity together. We saw that last week. But as we come to chapter 3, we're going to come to a transition in this letter. And what we're going to see today and, and next Sunday is that this chapter serves as sort of a bridge between who we are in Christ and how we live because of Christ. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and just dive right in. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13 together today. This is the word of the Lord. For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit." This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister 
according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we begin to examine this text, I ask that you would speak into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives. God, we confess that this is one of those passages of Scripture that as we read it, it it might be a little bit hard to follow what you're trying to teach us here. And so I ask that you would give me clarity as I speak, that you would help us to understand what it is you have for us here today, and that we would take it and apply it to our lives. God, most of all, we ask that you would help us to see that the mission you've given us, even though it has a cost, it is a mission worth living out. That you have placed us here to share your good news with a world that needs to hear your good news. So God, I ask that you would work in our hearts, encourage us and embolden us to live for you in every aspect of our lives. We ask these things knowing that you are faithful that you will give that which we ask for as we live for you every day. And so we ask in the name of your son. Amen. There's a poem that I think most of us, at least those of us who have gone through high school, have either read or heard at some point in our lives. It says, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. The significance of what is arguably Robert Frost's most famous poem, The Road Not Taken, all comes down to the final stanza. Really, it all comes down to the final three lines of the final stanza, stanza. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. There are a lot of roads out there that are traveled by a lot of people. We tend to like the road that we know. We tend to like the road that everyone travels. Maybe it's because we don't really think about it. Maybe it's because there's comfort there. Maybe it's because that's the path of least resistance. But sometimes when we go off the beaten path, sometimes when we leave the comfort of what everyone else is doing, sometimes we encounter amazing things. 
for Christians, we're called to walk the path less traveled. And that flows into just about every aspect of our lives. In this text today, Paul is talking about the path he's traveled. And it's a path that has come with a price. Paul has walked the path of evangelism. He's walked the path that has led him to share the gospel over and over and over again. But in sharing the gospel, he has paid a substantial price. He has suffered. He's been imprisoned. But what we're seeing here today is that for Paul, walking that path has made all the difference. This text we're looking at here today, it really is a bit of a strange text. In fact, if you just read it, if you just read chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 without the context, if you don't know everything he said leading into it and everything he's going to say coming out of it, this can be an almost incoherent text. Because what is happening here is Paul is is making a parenthetical aside. What's happening here is Paul has been talking about all that Christ has done and the way he's united the church and then he's, he's stopping and he's gonna talk about how he prays for the church and so he says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, but, but he stops mid-sentence to explain what he's been talking about, to explain why him being a prisoner for Christ Jesus is an okay thing to explain that that the path he's walked, the price he's paid, it's all been worth it. So as we look at this text today, as we look at these verses for you, I have one kind of main idea I want you to walk away with. If you take notes, I want you to write this down. And that's that the cost of sharing the gospel is worth it. That's what we're going to see in these verses Sharing the good news of Jesus is going to come with a cost. There's going to be a price that we pay for sharing what Jesus has done for us. For for Paul, that price would ultimately be his life. But what Paul is telling us here by his words and his example is that the cost of sharing the gospel is worth it. Now let me show you that right here in the text. As Paul begins there in verse 1, he begins by coming off of what he had just said in chapter 2. It's it's what we covered last week. He says, for this reason, because you Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, because the, the Gentiles are fellow citizens and saints, members of the household of God, being built up together into a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, because of all of that, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and and then he stops mid-sentence. That little M dash there after Gentiles is meant to help us see that he is stopping in the middle of a thought. As he's saying that he's a prisoner, he pauses to reassure his readers He wants his readers to know that the suffering he's going through, the suffering he's enduring is worth it. Now, we know that he's breaking his thought because he's actually going to come back to this thought. Next week, we'll see as we pick up at verse 14, he's going to go back to this. He's going to go back to for this reason. And that for this reason is pointing to the same for this reason that we see here in verse 1. But Paul stops he stops to do a little explaining. You see, he he, he says he's a prisoner for Christ Jesus and he needs to explain why that's okay. 
Now we're used to seeing Paul use this kind of language, and so we might be tempted to just overlook this, this title Paul is claiming for himself, but do you see the attitude that underlies what he's saying? Paul is a prisoner in Rome. He is a prisoner of the Roman state. He's physically in prison. But, but does he say he's a prisoner of Rome? No. He says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, why does he say that? What's going on right there? He says that because he understands the bigger picture. He understands that what he's going through is all part of God's plan for the spread of the gospel. He's a prisoner of and for Jesus. So he pauses for just a moment to explain why that's okay. And as he begins to explain why that's okay there in verse 2, he begins by working to help us see that the gospel is a trust God gives us to steward. That's the first thing he's going to point out. Look at this. There, starting in verse 2, he's showing us that the gospel is a trust God gives us to steward. Take a look. Paul says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by the revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The gospel is a trust God gives us to steward. And Paul begins by highlighting the fact that the message and the mission he's been given is a stewardship. Now, what's a stewardship? A stewardship is when you're put in charge of, you're responsible for something to take care of it. And the key to understanding a stewardship is is that that something that you're responsible for, that something you're in charge of, belongs to someone else. It's not yours to keep. It's the job of, of taking care of something for someone else. It's a trust that you are responsible for, but it's not yours. And Paul is saying, I've been given a stewardship of God's grace. He's saying this was given to me for you. That's the definition of a stewardship. Paul is simply the means by which God's grace is carried along to the Gentiles. And as he continues in verses 3 through 5, that's what he's working to help them see. Paul talks about a mystery that's been revealed. Now, you'll remember we talked about this in our first week in Ephesians. When when we see a mystery being discussed in the New Testament, it's, it's not a mystery like the way we think of a mystery. When we think about a mystery, we think about something we need to search out and find the answers. We think of like Sherlock Holmes or National Treasure, you know, that kind of thing. But, but that's not this. In the New Testament, when it talks about a mystery, that is something that we cannot know until God reveals it to us. We can't figure it out on our own until God makes it clear. And the mystery here is the full inclusiveness of the gospel message. The mystery is that the gospel is for everyone. We're going to see that in a few moments. But what Paul is saying here is that God revealed that mystery to him as he revealed Jesus Christ to him. And that revelation that Paul's talking about, that is that Damascus Road experience that we read about in Acts. 
where Saul was headed off to Damascus to persecute and, and pursue Christians who were following Jesus. And Jesus confronted him on that road. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus gave him the gospel message in that day. And he changed the path he was on forever. Paul is reminding us that the work he's doing is simply that of a steward. He's stewarding a trust that was given to him, that was entrusted to him. But this trust that he's been given is a perpetual trust. Now, if you're familiar with trusts in the legal world and how they work, you know that a perpetual trust is a different kind of trust. It's a trust that continues on. Each recipient of the trust is really just a steward of that trust. It's not theirs to keep. And we know that because Paul actually makes commands to continue this trust going forward. In his letter that we call 2 Timothy, Paul tells his protege Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men so that they can keep it to themselves. Is that what he tells them? No, no, he says, who will be able to teach others also? This is a perpetual trust. The gospel is a perpetual trust that you pass on to the next generation, from one to the next. It just keeps going on. It keeps being passed on, which means that we Christians today have this same trust entrusted to us. It's a trust we steward. The gospel message that we receive, it's not something that we get to keep to ourselves all day long. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be carried along and given to other people who then become stewards as well. The gospel is a trust God gives us to steward. If you've spent any time in this church, you know that that's true. We're constantly pushing you, pressing you to see that the gospel is something we share with others. That's why we're here as a church. That's why we're here as Christians. That's the reason that God doesn't just rapture you to heaven the moment you repent of your sin and place your faith in him. God leaves you here with a mission to accomplish, to share his gospel with other people. Every single one of us have been entrusted with that trust to steward. But as we continue, we're going to see that the gospel isn't just a trust. It's also good news, and it's good news for everyone. That's what we see as we look at verse 6. The gospel is good news for everyone. Look at verse 6. Paul continues. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, Nothing that Paul has just said there in verse 6 is new in this letter. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. They are members together in one body. They are sharers together in the promise in Jesus. We've seen all of that before this point here in the book of Ephesians. The mystery and message of the gospel is that God brought about his plans to reconcile all men to himself, all who would believe. Not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Everyone is included here. That means that there's no picking and choosing who is going to hear the gospel message. You're not going to pick and choose who gets to this message. We share it with everyone because it's good news for everyone. 
It's good news for your family and your kids. It's good news for your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates. It's good news for people you encounter at the grocery store and in the parking lot. It's good news for everyone, even, and especially that person that you don't maybe want to share it with. That person that gets under your skin. That neighbor that drives you nuts. That coworker that's always undermining and undercutting you. The gospel is good news for everyone. Because apart from Christ, we are all dead in our sin. We are all separated from God. We are all due his just wrath. Everyone has bad news, and that's bad news. But everyone also has the worst news that there's absolutely nothing that you can do on your own to fix that problem. You can't be good enough on your own. You can't earn your own righteousness by your own good deeds. You can't be a good person enough to earn the righteousness required to fix your sin problem. That's worse than knowing that there is a sin problem. But then we have the good news that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. That he died a sinner's death on the cross in our place for us And if we will repent of our sin, if we will place our faith and trust in his finished work at the cross, he will forgive our sin. He will give us his righteousness. And then we have the even better news that when that happens, when we repent of our sin, when Christ gives us his righteousness, we are completely and eternally reconciled to the Father. We get to spend eternity with God in heaven, with Jesus in heaven. The gospel is good news for everyone. And it's a trust we've been given to steward, to share with everyone. But I get it. I totally get it. As we start talking about sharing the gospel, actually going out and opening our mouths and and sharing what Christ has done for us, as we start talking about that, we get nervous. Just me? I'm a pastor. I still, like, I can do it up here on stage, easy day. But if I sit down one-on-one and have a conversation with you one-on-one, I can can start to get a little bit nervous. And if I'm getting nervous with all the the stuff I've got, like, I imagine it's all of us, right? Can, Can we be honest, head nod something? Tell me you're awake, right? Like, we get nervous. Sometimes we even get a little bit afraid. But as we continue in this text, I'd like you to see that God equips us to proclaim the gospel. He really does. As we continue, we're going to see God equips us to proclaim the gospel. Take a look, beginning at verse 7. Paul continues, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God equips us to proclaim the gospel. And Paul begins this paragraph by highlighting that. He begins by highlighting that he was made a minister 
of the gospel. That word minister right there in verse seven, that's diakonos. It's the exact same word that is translated as deacon over in Timothy and in Philippians. It simply means servant. Paul is a servant of the gospel and he was made a servant. The fact that that statement is in the passive voice is important because Paul didn't make himself a servant. He he didn't work to become a servant of the gospel. God made him a servant of the gospel. Paul didn't equip himself for this role. God did. Like, seriously, it it wasn't like Paul went off to four years of Bible college and then graduated and went off to seminary in order to share the gospel. It's not like Paul went to this church planting residency for a year and a half before he went out and shared the gospel. Like he equipped himself to go out and be prepared to share. No, God equipped him. God made him a servant. God used his power to give him his grace to make him a servant of the gospel. And we know this because Paul highlights just how ill-equipped he was for the mission that God had given him. Right there in verse 8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, I want you to know, I don't think that Paul is feigning humility right there. I don't think that this is him trying to act like, oh, look at me, I'm so humble. That's not what's going on right there in verse 8. Rather, he's working to show us just how much grace God had to pour out on him in order to equip him for this ministry. He calls himself the very least of all the saints in order to highlight how much grace God had to give him. Now, if you happen to be reading, this is an English Standard Version. If you happen to be reading an NIV, I really love the way they translate it because he says in the NIV, it says that I am less than the least of the saints. Like you don't get any more ill-equipped to share the gospel than I was. That's what Paul is saying right here. But God had worked, he had used his power to equip Paul to become a minister, a servant of the gospel so that Paul could tell people about Jesus, so that he could tell everyone, both Jews and Gentiles, all that God had done for them. And the goal, the result of all this sharing of the gospel is the church made up of Jews and Gentiles coming together in one body, displaying God's wisdom and beauty. That's what verse 10 is telling us. Look at this. God equipped Paul to share the gospel so that through the church, which is created by Jews and Gentiles hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, being changed by the gospel, coming together to be unified together in one body, the body of Christ, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, I love what we're seeing right here. This is, this is like, grasp what this is telling us. Paul is equipped to share the gospel. And as he shares the gospel, the church is created and the church displays the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What's that talking about? 
That's telling us that the church displays the manifold wisdom of God to the angels who are in heaven. Like, think about that picture for a minute. You've got these angels, and they are around God 24-7. They see him every day. They worship him every day. They serve him every day. And yet still, God is choosing to use his creatures. He's choosing to use people like you and me, equip people like you and me to share the gospel, to create this church which displays his manifold wisdom to these people who see him, the angels who see him every single day. Like, think about how incredible that is. And what they're seeing is his manifold wisdom. Now, that word that's translated there as manifold in the Greek is polypukilos. It's a very difficult Greek word to say, and, and I just slaughtered it. But what that word means is, is manifold is one option. Many-sided is a slightly better option. But my favorite is much variegated. Now, we got kids in the room with us today because it's family worship Kids, talking to you for just a second. How many of you have heard or had to write or spelling bee the word variegated? You'll look around, you'll see no hands are raised. I didn't know what variegated means. I I had to look it up. Variegated means marked by variety, exhibiting different colors, especially as irregular patches or streaks. And it's especially used to describe plants with colorful patterns on their fruit and leaves. Like, like think about like a watermelon. A watermelon is a much variegated piece of fruit. Like it's got a couple of different shades of green. It's got yellow and white. And, and it's in a random pattern that no two watermelons are the same. Ever seen two watermelons that are exactly identical? No, you haven't. Why? Because they're much variegated. And what this is telling us is that God's wisdom is like that. There are so many different facets and aspects of it that you can look at it all day long and you're just gonna see new angles, new sides. And what this is telling us is that God uses us. He equips us to share the gospel, to build a church that displays that wisdom to to the angels who are around him 24-7, 365. Like, think about what he's doing right here. This is, this is kind of incredible. We get to display his wisdom. All because God equips us to share the gospel. Well, there's one more thing I want you to recognize, and that's that this isn't just something that God did for Paul. This is something that God does for all of us. Paul is simply our example today. In a few weeks, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And when we get there, we're going to see that God brings the church together. He brings in various members, and every single one of them is going to have different talents and different different abilities, different capabilities and functions and roles. And, And he brings them all together to work together to equip the church to continue the work of ministry. They all work together to equip the various members of the church to share the gospel. That's what we're going to see in in just a couple of weeks, just a few verses later in this letter we're looking at right now. You see, Paul is showing us here that, that God equips us to proclaim the gospel. God gives us what we need so that we can be obedient to the command we recite every Sunday together. 
You don't need to have been a Christian for 30 plus years in order to share the gospel. If you claim the name of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you know enough right now to be able to share the good news you have in Jesus. God has given you what you need. But what we're also seeing right here is that as you spend time in this community, in this body of believers, this family, the church, as you spend time with your fellow believers, you're going to grow more in Christ and God's going to continue to pour out his grace on you. He's going to continue to equip you for this so that you can go out and share the gospel with a world that needs to hear it. You're only going to get better with time, but that's no reason to stop. And listen, there there are about a dozen probably two dozen ways that you can share the gospel. If you know me, you know my favorite is bad news, worse news, good news, better news. It's, I think J.D. Greer made it up. Don't quote me on that. But this is my favorite way to share the gospel because I can remember this. Bad news, worse news, good news, better news. I, I used it just a few minutes with the, ago with you, right? So what's the bad news? The bad news is that we are sinners. In, in our own nature, we are just sinners. And our sin separates us from God. God is holy, righteous, just. We are not. That's bad news. But the worst news is that there's absolutely nothing we can do to fix our sin problem. We can't be holy enough on our own. We can't be righteous enough on our own. We cannot pay the price that our sin incurs. I don't know that there's worse news than that. You've got a problem and there's absolutely no way to fix it. But the good news is that Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death in our place at the cross. And if we will place our faith and trust in his finished work, he will forgive our sin. He will give us his righteousness. We'll be reconciled to God. And the even better news is that when we do that, when we repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ, as he gives us his righteousness, we get to spend eternity with God. Eternity with Jesus in heaven. Bad news, worse news, good news, better news. The gospel is not hard. There are about a million ways that you can share it. And it can be even simpler than that. It can simply be, hey, listen, this is where I was before I met Jesus. And I heard what Jesus did for me and I repented of my sin. I placed my faith in him. And this is the way he's bringing me along now. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together, but my life is better because I met Jesus and you can meet him too. It can be that easy. Just sharing your story. But the simple reality is if you're a Christian, you already know enough today. God has equipped you to proclaim the gospel. You simply need to trust his plan. And that, by the way, is the the final point that Paul is making there in those verses, in verses 11 through 13. We can trust God's plan as we serve him. Take a look at this, beginning at verse 11. Paul concludes, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul begins this portion of the letter by highlighting the fact that he's in prison And as he ends this portion of the letter, as he ends this kind of parenthetical aside that makes up verses 2 through 13, he ends it by telling his readers not to be discouraged because of his suffering, because of his imprisonment. 
That's what he's saying there in verse 13. But the reason why he's able to say that is because he understands that everything that's happened to him, including his suffering, including his current imprisonment, he understands that all of that is part of God's plan from the very beginning to get the gospel to the nations. Like as you look at verses 11 and 12, do you see how much trust he has expressed in God, in God's plan? Look at them again really quick. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. There's so much trust in God's plan that he is expressing as he tells the Ephesian church that. It's like he's sitting there and he's in a Roman prison and he's saying, hey guys, don't worry about the fact that I'm sitting here in a prison. It's okay, this is part of God's plan so that you could hear the gospel, so that you can share the gospel with others. So don't worry about the fact that I'm in prison. It's gonna be okay, God's in control. Paul is trusting God's plan as he serves God. And that's a model we can emulate. I I think if, if we're being honest, we confess that the primary reason that we don't share the gospel is because we're afraid. I think that's, that's the number one reason we don't share the gospel. We're afraid. Maybe we're afraid of what that person might think. Oh, they're going to think you're one of those Jesus freaks. Maybe we're afraid of risking the relationship. We tell them about Jesus. They, they won't any, want anything to do with me. It's my best friend. It's a family member. They cut me off if I talk about Jesus one more time with them. I'm not trying to be political, but we can look at the world we're in. Maybe, maybe we think, if I talk about my faith, government's going to come and throw me in jail. Maybe I'm going to face ruinous fines other forms of persecution. I I don't think we're there yet, but I I think that's probably coming our way. Again, I'm not trying to be political. I'm I'm just saying that's where we're at. Like we can look at all these reasons why we're afraid to share the gospel. And I don't want to minimize any of those fears. I, I just want to point out to you Paul's example right here. Paul is sitting there in a prison and in the midst of suffering, that comes because he shared the gospel. He's, again, he's going to lose his life because he wouldn't stop sharing the gospel. But in the midst of all of that, what he's saying is that we can trust God's plan as we serve him. There may be a cost we incur. There may be a price we have to pay in order to share the gospel. But what Paul is teaching us here is that the cost of sharing the gospel is worth it because God's in control. And he uses our suffering. He uses that cost that we pay for the good of the nations and for his own glory. Listen, the world we're living in today is telling us that our faith is a private matter. Our world is telling us that we can follow Jesus. We just need to keep it to ourselves. And unfortunately, we're we're living in a world where more and more Christians think that that's a good idea. I think that's especially true if you're working in the corporate world. 
we're just being told, hey, you can have your faith, just keep it to yourself. We're living in a world where that's the road that most Christians are choosing to walk. So what we're seeing here is we've, we've come to a place where the road divides. And we need to choose which path, which road we're going to take. The one that's well-worn, the one that everyone else takes, or the one that's less traveled. Jesus told us to take the less traveled one, by the way. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. There are a lot of roads out there that are traveled by a lot of people. Which one do we want to take? Do we want to take the one that leads us into obedience? The one that leads us into sharing the gospel? The one that's become the road less traveled? Here's the thing. Sometimes when we go off the beaten path, sometimes when we leave the comfort of what everyone else is doing, sometimes when we are just obedient to what God has called us into, we can encounter some pretty amazing things. Lives changed, families restored, addictions broken, freedom granted, people united, cycles destroyed. Listen, there may be a price for walking down that road, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. The cost of sharing the gospel is worth it. So let's be a people who proclaim the good news we have. Let's be a people who share the gospel. Let's walk the path less traveled. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.